John chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible says, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice. I want you to note that. If you do underscore in your Bible, many don't, but if you do, then I want you to underscore that phrase, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet, Now turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 7. Luke, chapter number 7. We won't be back in John, chapter number 1. You can lose your place there if you'd like. Luke, chapter number 7. I'd like for us to look at verse number 24. Now we've heard what John says about himself. Let's hear what the Savior says. The Bible says, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I want you to underscore that phrase, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now turn with me one final time to the book of Mark, chapter number 6 this morning. Mark chapter number 6. I want to read for you a few verses, beginning in verse number 14, Mark chapter number 6. The Bible says, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. Now this is speaking of the Savior. He heard of the Savior. His name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. Now here we have a parenthetical narrative given, beginning in this next verse, of what took place when Herod killed John. The Bible says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod, on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, 
and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. The king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee, unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she, this is speaking of Herodias, she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne, Lord. We're in desperate need of your presence this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you've already spoken to hearts through the singing, Lord, and even through the fellowship and through the praying. God, you've been present amongst us already. But Lord, I just ask that you'd help me to put myself aside, nail myself to your cross, Lord, that I'd be out of the way that you might stand in front of these people, give your word and speak to hearts. Lord, I pray for the power and unction of the Holy Ghost. Without Him, I'm incapable. So, Lord, I ask for His help. God, I just ask that You'd accomplish in hearts that which is needful. You alone, Lord, know the human heart. You alone know what the needs are this morning. But, God, we know that not only do You know, but You're capable to answer and to meet. And so, God, we'd ask that You'd do so. Now, Lord, help us to be careful to give You all the glory and honor that's due to Your name. And we praise You for all that You've done. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I've read an ensemble of passages here to give you a synopsis of the life of John the Baptist. Now, there's much said about John that we did not read this morning. But I'm struck by the phrase given to us in John chapter number 1 when John is speaking of himself. They ask him, say, John, who are you? Are you the uh, prophet? Are you Elias? Are you the Messiah that should come? John, who are you? Now, you have to understand the dynamics of this man. This was a man that went against the grain. This was a man that was contrary to the cultural expectations of the day. I mean, when the religious folks were uh, dressing in their long robes with their Scripture uh, boxes on their head and on their right hand, when the religious folks were walking uh, through the streets and expecting greetings of rabbi and teacher and master, John the Baptist is in the wilderness. John the Baptist is preaching a message that they have not preached. John the Baptist is baptizing people uh, in the River Jordan. John the Baptist was an unconventional man. And so there were a lot of questions surrounding who this man was. And they come to him and say, John, who are you? And he begins to say, no, I'm not the Messiah. And by the way, that's the real mark of a man of God right there when he's willing to decrease that Christ might increase. And John says, no, I'm not him. John says, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not Elisha, and I'm not Isaiah, and I'm not Jeremiah, and I'm none of those prophets. And they say, well, John, who are you then? And he uses a phrase prophetically given in the book of Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
John characterizes himself in his ministry as being that simply of a voice. Would to God that every single man of God that stands in a pulpit would see his ministry as thus, I am a voice to give forth a message. But I believe it's indicative of something else. You see, we read in Luke chapter 7 of the Savior's description of John the Baptist. And the Savior says of John the Baptist that he was a prophet. In fact, he was not just a prophet, he was the greatest prophet, the Bible teaches us, that had ever lived. Now, that's a tall order. I mean, he stood head and shoulders above Elijah. He stood head and shoulders above Elisha. By the way, we all like Elijah, and nobody ever talks about Elisha, but Elisha did twice the miracles that Elijah did. And he was greater than Jeremiah. He stood head and shoulders above Isaiah. He stood above Joel and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and all of these great prophets of God. Uh, The Lord says he's the greatest. But what does it mean to be a prophet? I believe we have a synonymous idea given to us. Because as we study through the Old Testament, we find that the ministry of a prophet was that of being the voice to a generation. He was the means through which God communicated His thoughts and His messages to the nation of Israel. No matter who it was, no matter what prophet it was, that was their vocation, that was their office, that was their purpose and their ministry and their meaning in life was to be the voice for that generation. We find that John the Baptist was the voice to the generation leading up to the coming of our Lord. We find that John the Baptist was the one that declared the Word of God to them. You may say, preacher, what does that have to do with me today? We do not have prophets today, and that's very true. We do not have prophets in this day of grace that we live in. The Bible teaches there are two more prophets that are coming, the book of Revelation. But in this day that we live in, we do not have any prophets. You say, I thought you was a prophet. No, no, I'm just a preacher, amen. Big difference. You see, I may take the words of God, and preach the words of God, but you'll find no advanced revelation from me. You'll not find the mind of God revealed specifically in your life dictated by me. By the way, you know that's different than a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors believe it's their place to dictate the will of God to people. I believe it's my place to show them where they can find the will of God for their life. Not mine to dictate the will of God. When you say, why is that? God is not bound to show me the will of God for your life. Now, there are certain things in the revealed Word of God that give us the will of God, the revealed will of God, we might say. And I can very plainly declare those to you, very scripturally so, but it's not my place to tell you where it is you're going to live, where it is you're going to work, what it is you're going to drive, and so on and so forth. I believe the Holy Ghost of God is to do that. And I'm not going to try to be the Holy Ghost for anybody. But we find that this day that we live in, we do not have prophets. But can I tell you today... There is a voice that we listen to. There is a voice that we listen to. And it's not an audible voice, but the Bible teaches us that Christ speaking said when the Comforter comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, and that is the Holy Ghost, the Bible told us that He would guide us into all truth. The Bible teaches us that the self-same Spirit teacheth us. And you and I, we don't have a prophet in our life. But we have a voice in our life. We have the voice of God in our life. And that is God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling within us. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost of God. There's a lot of Baptists scared of the Holy Ghost today. I don't think we ought to be scared of Him, do you? I think we ought to be thrilled when He shows up and shows out, don't you? 
You say, well, I just don't want any wildfire. Don't you worry about wildfire. Enough wet blankets around. Amen. I'm just thankful when God visits the presence of His people, aren't you? I'm thankful for the voice of God. But we find as we read this narrative concerning the death of John the Baptist, we find that there was one man that did not respond properly to the voice of God in his life. And can I say to you that how we respond to the Holy Ghost is going to change our lives. There's a lot of people convicted by the Holy Ghost, but there's very few convinced by the Holy Ghost. Amen? There's a lot of people that are made aware of their sin by the Holy Ghost of God. And the Spirit of God points His finger on sin in our life and reproves us and rebukes us and shows us our need to draw closer to God. And we turn around and we walk away and say, no, thank you. We find in Herod's life a progression that took place concerning the voice of God. And I just want to give you three thoughts this morning. Look with me at verse number 20 of Mark chapter number 6. Hopefully you're right there with me. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 20 again. The Bible is telling us about how Herod had put John in prison. But I want you to back up a little bit. I want you to notice Herod's initial attitude towards John. Look what it says. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. That's an important word. He observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Can I say that there was a time in Herod's life when he was sensitive to the voice of God? I bet you remember a time in your life, and I hope it's today, amen. I'm not saying it's not. But I'd about guarantee that any blood-washed, born-again believer remembers a time when they were sensitive to the Holy Ghost in their lives. You remember a time when it just seemed like the Holy Ghost just had to come along and just kind of knock on your heart's door and you swung it open for Him. Seems like times when the preacher would get up and preach and the Holy Ghost of God would come and sit down right beside you and start whispering in your ear and telling you in your life what you needed to get straightened out. Before long, the tears were flowing. You couldn't wait. Hey, listen, neighbor, we don't have to wait till the closing remarks for the altar. Amen. We can use that altar anytime. Everybody with me this morning? Everybody okay? Everybody looks just a little nervous. I know it's sleepy. Amen. I know it's, I know it's rainy outside. I know it's sleepy. I know it's tough. Amen. But you just bear with me. There was probably a time when you didn't even wait for the altar call. You was up and in the altar before the preacher's ever done. There was a time when we didn't need pep talks. Somebody say amen right there. There was a time when we didn't even need a piano playing before we got down to the altar. There was a time when the voice of God was enough in our lives. We were sensitive to the voice of God. We heard the voice of God. We observed the voice of God. And there was nothing that we valued greater, listen to me now, than the opinion of Almighty God. There was a time when that was the most important thing. Now everybody else's opinion is the most important thing. Somebody say amen right there. We're worried about what somebody's going to think. We're worried about what somebody's going to say. We're worried that somebody's going to look at us cross-eyed. Let them look cross-eyed. Hopefully it'll stick and God will teach them a lesson. Amen? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares what people think of you? As long as you're right with God. That's all that matters this morning. That's all that matters. Let them look at you cross-eyed. That's all right. The truth of the matter is, most of us, there was that time. That time when, when the Holy Ghost, He didn't have to yell he could just whisper. That time when God didn't have to put us in a hospital to get our attention. 
That time when God didn't have to wrap our car around a telephone pole to get our attention. That time when God didn't have to put our kids or grandkids in a sick bed to get our attention. We were sensitive to the voice of God for us. We said, Lord, I'm here. Whatever you want, whatever you need. There was a time when the altar call wasn't arguing time for us with God. Boy, everybody, let me tell you something. People say, I don't debate. I don't debate my religion. I just don't debate Christianity. You know, you sure debate it when altar call time comes. Some of you know what I'm talking about already. I'll just lay it out there for the rest of you. Some of you, God's been convicting you and come altar call time, you become a theologian. Amen. And you start praying, you start saying, Lord, I don't really know that that was sin. Come on. Lord, I, you know, Lord, I, I can settle that here right where I'm at. Amen. Lord, I, I, you know, I really, I don't, you know, altar calls ain't even scriptural, Lord. <laughs> yeah, but altars are. Come on, altars are. You say, they didn't use altars for the same thing in the Old Testament. Yeah, sure they did. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place to take something, put it to death, and lay it down as a sacrifice before Almighty God. The problem is Christians today in casual Christianity won't put themselves to death, draw that blade of the Word of God across the neck of their own sacrifice, and pour their blood upon the altar of God and say, Lord, I'm here for anything, anything that You need me for. We've grown insensitive to the voice of God. I want you to notice three things about Herod. And I wonder if you see yourself and remember yourself in this way. I want you to notice first off that he was respectful of John's words. Listen to what it says. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. The Bible says there was a time when Herod respected John. When John spoke, his ears perked up. He paid attention. Let me tell you something, and we watch for it a lot in young people. But let me say that it, it happens in old people too. It just manifests itself differently. You better watch when people lose their respect for the house of God and for the preaching of the Word of God. They're not long for destruction. I've seen it. I'm sure you have. I was a Christian school kid. Christian school kids are, are about the evilest kids in the world. Amen? They're, they have their whited sepulchers. <laughs> Full of dead men's bones. They're hard as coffin nails. They're, it's like preaching. The hardest place I ever preached was in Christian schools. And I've seen it before. I've seen them sit back there and <clears throat> start to laugh. Start to snicker. You say, oh, preacher, that's just kids being kids. No, that's not kids being kids. That's kids being disrespectful. That's what that is. That's what that is. You say, well, it's them kids. We ought to whip them kids. No, but you know what I've seen? I've seen I've seen adults balancing their checkbooks. Come on. I've seen adults flipping through magazines. I've seen adults uh, looking around trying to find anything in the world to distract them. What is that, preacher? That's disrespect for the words of God. You say, preacher, you're just upset because if somebody don't pay attention... Hey, listen, I could give a rip whether you pay attention to me or not. I mean, listen, if if we be, bump into each other at Walmart and I'm sitting there telling you a story and you just want to turn around and walk straight away from me, that won't bother me one bit. But listen to me, neighbor, when it's the Word of God, I believe we ought to hear. I believe we ought to be sensitive. I believe we ought to be respectful to it. I want you to notice not only was he respectful towards the words of God, uh, but I want you to notice to the voice of God that he was receptive. The Bible says he heard him. He heard him. I'll tell you what a lot of us have done in this day that we live in. It's become so second nature to us. You know what I mean? 
It's become, that's why we ought to do things differently every now and then around here. Amen. Some people just look all tore up. I mean, if we, if we just get up and do the, do the special before we did the choir, there'd be people get up and walk out late. They wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. Amen. If, if we had an altar call before we had the preaching, people just look at each other like, what's happened? <laughs> we get in a, we get in a form and we get in a rut. And we get to the place where you know what a lot of us do? We go and we sit down and we just turn it off. You say, oh, preacher, I don't do that. Well, hey, I've been guilty of it at times. And we get non-receptive to the words of God. Oh, yeah, we, we hear them like we'd hear a noise, but we don't really hear them. Let me tell you when you're on dangerous ground in your Christian walk. You ready? When you start saying, boy, that's good preaching for so-and-so. Boy, that's good preaching for them. Boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. Boy, that's good for them. Let me share something with you. When I was about 14, 15 years old, I just got the crazy idea in my head. You know how kids are, right? I mean, they're just nuts. I just got the crazy idea in my head that, that I made up my mind that every time that I went and heard a message, I was going to sit there and ask myself, is the preacher preaching to me? I saw the greatest greatest spurt of growth in my spiritual walk that I've ever experienced. And that counts the time that I've been a pastor too. I mean, when I was 50, it just seemed like God just took this book and opened it and took my hand and began to walk through it with me. You know why? Because I sat there and I said, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? That's what being receptive to the Word of God is. Being receptive to the Word of God is not just being there. God bless you for being there. You can't be receptive unless you're under the preaching. But being receptive is sitting there and saying, Oh, God in heaven, are you preaching at me this morning? Is this my message? I want you to notice he was not only respectful, he was not only receptive, but he was responsive. The Bible says he heard him, he observed him. But notice it says he did many things. You know what that means? That means when John said, Herod, this in your life needs to be corrected, Herod did it. He heard him gladly. He heard him gladly. The Word of God, listen to me, and I want you to hear my whole statement, all right? This book is absolutely powerless if it's not applied to your life and to mine. All the power in heaven and earth is put in this book to change lives, to save souls, to rescue homes. But if it's not obeyed, it won't do you a bit of good. We've got to learn how to be responsive. We like, you know what we like to do? We like to spend a little time. We like to spend time in God's waiting room. You listen to me? We like to spend time in God's waiting room fellowshipping. We even like to sit down and enjoy God's entertainment with the singing. We even sometimes will go in and sit in God's diagnostic room and listen to the preaching. But very rarely do we want to get down here in God's operating room and get the business took care of. We don't mind being receptive. We don't mind being respectful. We don't mind hearing the Word of God. We don't mind it even applying to our lives. But then we find every reason in the world to not do business with God and get it settled in our lives. And you know what you've done? Absolutely nothing to help your state. Don't help you a bit of good to be diagnosed if you won't take the treatment. Don't do you a bit of good to find out what the problem is 
if you won't take the medicine and apply it to your life. And very simply, you can be convicted from here till kingdom come, but until you're willing to obey the Word of God, your life is going to stay exactly the same as it is right now. The lost man can be shown his lost state, but until he comes to the Savior, he'll never find satisfaction. I was reading it again there in John chapter 4. I, I thumbed through there whenever she's singing uh, about filling, filling her cup up. And I, I just thumbed over there to John chapter number 4. Sometimes I like to read what a song's about while I'm listening to it. And I saw there where the Bible says that Jesus sat on the well. You say, what does that mean? That means if she's going to get to the well, she's going to have to go through him first. If you're going to find the satisfaction, listen to me, lost person, if you're going to find the satisfaction you need, you're only going to get it by going through the Savior first. That's the only way. And listen to me, saying, if you're law, if you're away from God, if you're backslid, the only way you're going to be in communion with the Lord is by coming through the Son. You say, uh, preacher, are you saying I need to be re-saved? No, I'm not saying you need to be re-saved. I'm saying you need to be rededicated. Amen? You saved, then if you're saved, then you're saved, then you're saved. You're saved. <laughs> you don't need to be re-saved. Once saved, always saved. I believe that, don't you? But there's a lot of people in this world that they need to find themselves on an altar, crucify themselves, and say, Lord, <laughs> Lord, I'm done trying to depend on me, and I need you. I need you. We find there was a time when he was responsive. We see that he was sensitive to the Word of God. But I want you to notice that there came a time when he silenced the voice of God in his life. He put to death John the Baptist. The Bible gives us the story of how the Herod had took uh, Philip, his brother's wife, Herodias. How that John stood and preached. Do you know that the Word of God, uh, sometimes it don't soothe, sometimes it skins. Amen? Did you know that? Sometimes the Word of God is not sweet. Sometimes it stings. And sometimes the sword can bring you the victory, but sometimes it's there to cut away that which is corrupt and putrefying and needs to be done away with. There's both sides to it. We find that John came to, uh, to Herod and said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's wrong for you to do. You say, but he was a king, but, <laughs> but those words came from a higher king. It doesn't matter what your status is in life. God's still higher than you are. Amen? And we find that there was three reasons that he killed John. Three reasons. I want you to mark these down. I want you to notice, first off, he killed him because of the conviction of his words. It made, it made Herod angry. It made Herod angry that John would stand and tell him he was wrong. Who was John to do that? He was a king. Who was John, this silly prophet? He's a king. It was Herod's life. And nobody was going to tell him how to live it. Sound familiar? It's my life. Nobody's going to tell me how to live it. My life. I'll do what I please. My way is the best way. Problem is the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. You can better believe it. If your flesh says it's a good idea, it's a bad idea. It's that simple. You say, well, what if it's not a bad idea? I'd just chance it that it is a bad idea and not do it anyway, wouldn't you? Isn't that smart? Amen? Amen? Uh, some of you, how many of you get out there and walk a tightrope if I asked you to today? If we strung one up all the way across? 
all the way from our roof clear across over to, to maybe the Pleasant Ridge Road. Said, walk that tightrope. You say, I can't. Say, well, maybe you can. <laughs> maybe you won't fall. You probably wouldn't chance it, would you? Because you know it's going to hurt if you fall. And when you're built like I am, there's more of you on either side of the tightrope than there is on top of the tightrope. Amen? So there's a good chance you're not going to chance it because you know that could hurt you. We walk the tightrope with sin, though, don't we? We play with fire when it comes with sin. We chance it with sin. It's no wonder our lives are a mess. We find in this passage that because Herod was convicted... He said, I won't listen. Well, we like the Word of God when it comforts. We just don't like it when it convicts. Everybody okay? If, if your neighbor's asleep, wake them up. They need to hear this. We like the Word of God when it comforts us. We like the Word of God when it soothes us. We like the Word of God when we've just lost someone that we love and the Word of God says uh, that, uh, that the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We like that. We like that death has no, uh, no sting and the grave has no victory. We like that. We, we, we like whenever we're troubled. We like whenever we've done wrong and we're willing to give it up uh, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We like that. We like that He was with the disciples through the storm when we're going through storms. We like that He knoweth the way that I take, and when He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We like that, but we don't like this. We don't like this, uh, Therefore, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in uh, The love of the world is, is uh, friendship with the world is the enmity with God. That's what James said. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We don't like that. We like it when it comforts. We don't like it when it cuts. We like it when it soothes us. But we don't like it when it convicts us. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that because God wanted them to live a certain way and they wanted to go a different way, they finally just broke paths and said, Lord, you do what you want. I'll do what I want. They couldn't handle the conviction of the Word of God. I want you to notice not only did He silence the voice of God because of the conviction of the Word of God, but He silenced the Word of God because of the communion with His wife that He had. At the end of the day, it wasn't Herod, or Herod's idea to kill John. It was Herodias's. It was his wife's. He silenced the voice of God because that was needed to please others around him. That was needed to maintain the life he had lived. That was needed to keep her happy. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this world that have ceased to listen to the voice of God because the people that they run with, they're too committed to them. There's a lot of people in this world. Hey, neighbor, has God convicted you about that group of friends you have? God convicted you. You say, oh, preacher, I, you know, I, I'm up in years. I don't have any friends. Uh, maybe it ain't the friends you've got. Uh, maybe it's the lifestyle that you're living. Maybe it's the things that you're doing. Maybe it's the things that you're watching or the things that you're listening to. Maybe it's the things that you're saying. Maybe it's the things that you're consuming. But whatever it is, God's dealt with you. But you refuse, you refuse, you refuse. Because what would people think of me? What would people think of me? Because of the communion with his wife, but because of the commitment to the world. He said, yet, the Bible says, yet for his oath's sake. Yet for his oath's sake. And for them that sat at meat with him, them that sat around him, he killed John. There's a lot of people, listen to me, there's a lot of people going to die and go to hell because they was too scared what people would think if they got saved. There's a lot of people going to be in hell because they're afraid what people would think. They say, oh, well, people thought I was already saved. Who cares? Who cares? 
Who cares what they think? Get it settled. There's a lot of people that say, Preacher, preacher, I can't get that out of my life. I can't confess that before God. I can't get that right. Because people know the way I live and they expect better of me. If they found out that I was doing wrong, well, what would they think of me? Who cares what they think? Why don't you start caring what God thinks about you? Isn't that what matters? Boy, we all sit there. You know what everybody says? I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time from teenagers in particular. But I I hear it from adults too. They'll say, I don't care what people think. You ever heard that? I don't care what people think. I don't care. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think. Good. If you don't care what people think, then you ought only to care what God thinks then. Amen? Now, we all need to maintain a testimony. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm merely saying this. If you don't care what people think, then it won't bother you a bit getting sin out of your life and living right before a holy God. Is that correct? Maybe my logic is flawed. I don't know. Maybe my logic is just too oversimplified. That's why I couldn't be in government. I'm too logical, amen? Just wouldn't do. I don't know how to spend money to save money. That don't make sense to me, amen? That just... Some of you women know how to spend money to save money, though, don't you? Some of you got them coupons. Spend $600 and get $8 off. Yeah, that makes sense, right? All you men went, preach! <laughs> preach! No, at the end of the day, you've got to make up your mind that you're going to listen to God. And when God convicts you, you're going to respond, you're going to obey. Say, it's going to upset people. Well, let them be upset. Let them be upset. Say, people think less of me. Let them think less then. Although I just venture to say this. Nine times out of ten, there wouldn't be anybody think less of you. The devil's just bluffing you to make you feel like they would. He don't want you getting it settled. Let me give you a third thing. Look with me in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I appreciate your patience. I want to give you one final thought. Luke chapter number 23. Look with me at verse number 6. Now, this has to be taken in context with Mark chapter number 6. Because in Mark chapter number 6, the Bible tells us that whenever Herod had heard of Jesus, he thought that it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. We just read that, correct? And the Bible doesn't really teach us anywhere that Herod ever dismissed that thought. We do not know that Herod ever began to not think that way. In fact, we might assume that Herod, uh, by the time we reach Luke chapter 23, still believes this about Jesus. We do not know. But it puts a whole new light on the meeting between our Lord and Herod. Because listen to what the Bible says in verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. Of a long season he had been desirous to see him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with him in many words. Boy, this is chilling. But he answered him nothing. We see that John was sensitive to the voice of God. We see that John silenced the voice of or John. Herod silenced the voice of God. We see that he was sensitive and he silenced it. But we see finally that there came a time when Herod sought for the voice of God. He could not find it. I'd always wondered why Jesus never spoke to him. There's a lot of reasons. The Bible says he was uh, led as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, and that's prophetic and that's, that's important. 
I believe part of it because he understood the motives and intentions of Herod. But I believe part of it in this passage is punishment from God upon Herod. Herod had spurned and scorned the voice of God. There came a time when he longed for it, and it could not be found. I want to be very deliberate in what I say right now, because I don't want you to misunderstand me, so listen carefully. The Holy Spirit of God never forsakes us once we've been saved. Is that clear? He never forsakes us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. We can never lose our salvation. We can never lose the Holy Spirit. We never have to worry of God forsaking us. And hallelujah for that. But we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can do things, listen to me carefully, that silence Him in our lives. So I don't believe that, preacher. We find it in Herod's life. You say, preacher, are you telling me if I sin, the Spirit of God won't convict me? Oh, He may convict you. But let me tell you something. The longer and longer you kick against it, the longer and longer you kick against it, the harder and harder it's going to be to hear it when the time comes. Most of you that are in doctor's offices and nurses, and we got a few of them here this morning, you know that the level of antibiotics that people take today is remarkable in power relative to the level of antibiotics people took 30, 40 years ago. Is that correct? You all know what I'm talking about? Used to, the antibiotics were much weaker, but they were sufficient. But we have a populace today that has been uh, absolutely saturated with antibiotics. We've done it for years. Everybody, don't matter what happened, you, you, you get sick, you get a head cold, they give you an antibiotic. You get a cough, they give you an antibiotic. You stub your toe, they give you an antibiotic. You get a headache, they give you an antibiotic, don't matter what it is. And over time, we've built up an immunity, so to speak, against that antibiotic. And it takes something stronger, takes something more powerful to get the job done. You know what's dangerous in our lives? At first, He can whisper and we hear it. You know? At first, I mean, at first we're looking for an excuse. Some of you remember when you got saved, you were looking for an excuse to go to the altar. It didn't matter what it was. You'd go and pray for other people's sins. You didn't care. You're sensitive. And then you got just a little bit stagnant. And you got to where it just wasn't as important to you. And you got to where any and everything would give you a reason to not go to the altar. And you get to a place where it just seems as though God has to crash into your world to get your attention. I've seen it, neighbor. I've seen it. And I don't mean this in a self-righteous way. God help me to never get to that place, but I'm just as susceptible as anybody in this place is. But I've seen it before. I've seen God have to put people in graves to get other people's attention. I've seen God have to put people in wheelchairs to get other people's attention. I've seen God have to put families through the ring or hanging by a thread just to get someone's attention. You say, what happened in their life, preacher? They silenced the voice of God because it was not agreeable to their flesh. They said, I'm done listening. God said, okay, I'll just speak louder. He said, God, don't do that. He put one of his own prophets in a whale's belly. Isn't that right? 
that right? He did that, didn't he? Got his attention, didn't it? Every once in a while, God just has to ring our bell. Get our attention. You say, is that how God prefers to work? No. No, He's usually not in the earthquake, and He's usually not in the fire, and He's usually not in the great wind or the tornadoes. He prefers the still, small voice. But He'll speak as loud as He has to to get His children's attention. And maybe you're here this morning. The Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to your heart through this message. He's pointed some things out in your life, said this needs to be addressed. As far as I can see, everybody is sat here respectful. Some of you, I can tell, have even been receptive. But who's going to be responsive? Who's going to say, Lord, I'll obey you. I'll obey you. I'll get it settled in my life. Let me just say, you need to get it settled while he can still whisper before he has to raise his voice in your life.